Hi there, this is the Rev. Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Any architect or anyone skilled in construction will tell you the same thing. The first and most essential part of any building project is a good and strong foundation. But once you've got that, it's amazing what you can build. Actually, when you think about it, much the same thing can be said of you and me. So the question is, what's your foundation? Based on Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 23, that's the subject and the title of today's message. And it starts out with a little bit of Lowry family history. Along Route 1, just north of the little town of Monticello, Maine, there still stands an old farmhouse that is, in fact, the Lowry family homestead. It's surrounded by acres of woods and I don't know how many potato fields, but I do know that my grandparents lived in that house for pretty much their whole married lives. It was where my father and his brother and his three sisters were all born and raised. And it was the place where we gathered for countless family reunions, Christmas Eve celebrations, and oyster stew suppers, which in those days was the Lowry family meal. It was also, this farmhouse, a a place of endless fascination for me as a young child in particular in the way the house itself was laid out. Actually, you know, this was and is a quintessential New England farmhouse in that it exists in pieces that were built over time and are connected one to another. First, there was a main structure, or the big house, as it's sometimes called up in those parts with uh, the kitchen and living space downstairs and uh, upstairs bedrooms and eventually a bathroom. And then some years after that, after the main house was built, a couple of additions were built on. On one end, there was an extra kitchen and and a living space. That's where my grandparents stayed in their later years while my uncle and his family were living in the main house. And on the other side of the building, an addition was added on for a laundry room. And then attached to that was a shed, a back house, which if you were in trouble, you didn't want to have to go out to the back house. But it was actually built primarily for storage to stack firewood. And, and I'm not even gonna talk here about the porch that got added onto the front and eventually was glassed in and essentially came another room. Uh, or to the barn or the workshop that was separate from the house but was built in either end of the property. The house itself, as a kid, i got to tell you, I loved it. it. Like I said, it was a source of endless fascination for me. And as I remember it as a child, it was filled with all these nooks and crannies, doors in every room. Each one of them I knew would open to a mysterious closet or a crawl space. And the thing was, I think about it now, and I realize that really wasn't all that big of a house, but it seemed to me at the time like it would stretch on forever. 
Actually, these days, I think of it in terms of the words of, of that song from Schooner Fair, the big house, middle house, back house barn. Built piece by piece, all connected as one. But connected not so much in the sense of wood frame walls or a shingled roof, but in a larger sense. Connected by the several generations of family who have lived there as well as in and through all the changes in people's lives over the years. I don't know, it's an amazing thing to me when you think about it. All that history, all that experience, all the stories that grew out of this house, that, uh, stories that continue to be told to this very day. But here's the thing about it. All of this started by the house having first been built and having it be built on a strong foundation. Because, you see, whatever else you choose to build on a house, it's the foundation that really matters. Actually, you know, it strikes me that much the same thing can be said about this church building where we're worshiping this morning. After all, not only is this building one of the oldest, if not the oldest, I'm not sure, original church edifices still standing in Concord. There are churches that are older, but they are on their second and sometimes even third building. Not only is it that, but this is also a church that's quite literally connected to that fellowship hall back there. The fellowship hall that began its life as a residence across the street here on Mountain Road and was physically moved here to become a part of the church. Now that is interesting in and of itself. But I got to tell you, it speaks to me in terms of, of being an analogy, a parable, if you will, for who we are, for what we've always been as a congregation. Truly, we at East Church have always sought to be a congregation that reaches out with faith and in love to one another in times of need and then outward to the people of the community. And we do that, come what may, year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, because first we were built, and we were built on a strong foundation. And like I said before, a good foundation is what really matters. Understanding, of course, that while all those rocks and blocks of granite down there that underpin this building are of great importance, there's more to it than simply that. In the words of Brian Peterson, of Lutheran Southern Seminary, North Carolina, I believe. Just as any building must fit its foundation, be supported by it, and shaped to match it, so it is with the church. Because the church, you see, already has its one foundation. It's what we sang about at the very beginning of the service this morning. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul makes it clear in our text for this morning, each builder must choose with care how to build on that foundation because the materials that we use in the building will not only be revealed, 
But in the end, our construction will be tested. It will have to pass inspection, so to speak. Which, it seems to me, is not only applicable even now to the manner in which we govern and direct the building up of our churches, including this one, but it also applies to the way that you and I seek to live our lives as well. Well, this morning we're returning to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, who lived in this Greek city of Corinth, a group of new believers who were remarkable both for the passion expressed in their newfound faith, but even more so, and this is what makes this, this epistle really endlessly fascinating to me, is they are known by the divisions that almost immediately rose up amongst them. In fact, uh, and there are several issues expressed in this epistle, but at the time when Paul had sent this letter to them, there was already this growing divide amongst the Corinthian Christians over, get this, what leader they should follow. Would it be Paul, who had just spent 18 months amongst them as a founding pastor, so to speak? Would it be Apollos, this new, well-spoken, and apparently very charismatic missionary leader in their midst? Or would it be the well-remembered, sentimental favorite Cephas, that is, Peter, Yes, that Peter. This question of leadership had become for the Corinthians, to say the very least, a heated discussion. And it now gotten to the point where whenever Christians were gathered, there were bound to be fiery debate and lots of signs waving in the air. Sound familiar? Kind of like primary season in New Hampshire, isn't it? And really... I'm not kidding when I say that that's pretty much kind of what it was. And so, of course, here in the midst of this fray comes Paul. But his response to this conflict is actually quite interesting. Rather than claiming a preordained victory or the spiritual high ground over his central political, oh, not political, his central a spiritual partner, Apollos, Paul acknowledges in this epistle, that yes, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation with you here in Corinth. And no one can lay any foundation than the one that has been laid. And that foundation, Paul says, is Jesus Christ. Okay, now, a couple of things should be mentioned here. First, what Paul is, is doing is indeed employing metaphor because in the early days of the church, there were no temples under construction. They weren't literally building churches. Paul is talking here about the building up of the body of Christ. In fact, the Greek word that's used here for church is ecclesia, which is where we get the term ecclesiastical, and it refers to the gathering of people in faith. It's not about a building. And while we're on the subject of language, something else. The Greek words that gets translated in English as skilled master builder actually are better tr translated as wise architect. Wise architect. So it's not so much that Paul is bragging about all he's done in building up the church, but rather he's saying that using the gift God gave him as a good architect, 
he was able to build on the only foundation that ever mattered, the good foundation, the strong foundation, the foundation that is firm in Jesus Christ. So you see, essentially what Paul is saying here is that while, yes, I do have some part in building up of the church, as so does, as does for that matter, Apollos or Cephas or, or any other human leader, ultimately, Paul says, it's not about me. And by the way, you folks in Corinth, it's not about you either. This is about you and I at work together, building up the body on the good foundation that is Jesus Christ. It is using the kind of spiritual tools, the good materials that will stand the test of time and to show forth your sincerity and and passion for your faith. And I love what Paul says next. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Don't you realize, Paul says, that God's temple is holy and you are that temple? I mean, like we said before, it all comes back to the foundation on which you build, the foundation in which you are built. This foundation of Jesus Christ is what really matters. So then, given all of that, the question is, What's your foundation? What are you building on? How are you building? What's your foundation? I remember once years ago as a much younger and inexperienced pastor in a prior parish, I had the occasion of meeting with some visitors in our church to discuss the possibility of their joining with our congregation as new members. Now, I have to tell you, this was really kind of something. I, though I had only recently had the opportunity to, to meet this couple, a husband and wife in person, their reputation certainly preceded them. I already knew that these were people greatly respected in our community and and known as tireless volunteers. Any good work that was being done in town, they usually were at the center of it. And moreover, uh, by all accounts, they were well thought of by friends and neighbors. Now, they've been coming to church for a few weeks. They seem to be hitting it off with everyone, the pastor included. And soon I was having folks in the congregation coming up to me all excited and telling me, we'd be really lucky to have these two be part of the church. And I gotta tell you, I, I felt the same way. So now we have this meeting, and it was interesting to say the least. First of all, the woman brought with her a literal checklist on a clipboard of questions she wanted to ask. And uh, as I recall, there was more than one page of questions. And they were questions that ranged from uh, asking about the program goals and the frequency of youth ministries in the church because they had two uh, middle school and high school age kids and whether or not, to whether or not we participate in a sports league. Uh, you know, and to look at me, they knew immediately I wasn't involved. Uh, but they wanted to know, do we do basketball? You know, was there softball in the summer and so on. And then, and then there were questions uh, about my preaching. They wanted to know if I would ever dare, they say, to preach on things like the virgin birth or the story of Adam and Eve. 
And, you know, as I'm trying to answer these questions, you know, fairly and appropriately, um, I'm noticing she's writing everything down, making notes on every one of my answers. And the longer we went, the more telling the questions became. Now, if you become a member of this church, are you required to serve on a committee and for how long? What about stewardship? How is it decided on what we give? Does someone come to our house and we sit down and go over it, or are we on our own? Are you supposed to come every Sunday to worship, or can you just come sometimes? Kind of odd questions. Well, not so much odd, but kind of weird to ask the pastor, but I admit, okay. And I'm not exaggerating here when I say that this conversation covered just about every aspect of church life. And also, uh, it kind of felt like an interview for a job. But I also got to tell you, it was enjoyable. There was nothing pressure-filled about it. Uh, you know, we had a great little conversation, and when the meeting was done, I felt pretty good about our conversation and the prospect of their joining the church. But alas, it was not to be. After a couple of weeks, they were gone, and rumor had it they'd started attending another church. And so, of course, what I'm thinking, because, you know, the pastor's only human after all, is what did I do? I mean, I tried to be gracious. I, I tried to welcome them. I, I needed to be honest, certainly. And above all, I was seeking to be pastoral along every one of those questions. So what did I say to these people that was so wrong? How had I driven these people away from the church? Well, later on, I actually learned from a fellow pastor that this particular couple, who was so well-respected in the community, were also well-known by local pastors as chronic church hoppers. People, and I don't say this unkindly, but that's what we call them, they people who had gone through the same interview process in virtually every church across the denominational spectrum for miles around and had never settled on any church anywhere for more than a few weeks at a time. And as I shared my feelings of disappointment to this colleague, he just shook his head, smiled a little bit, and he said it all. Don't worry about it, Michael. Some people are just far more concerned about the benefits they get from faith than ever looking at its responsibilities. I never forgot that. You know, and when people come to church, you win some, you lose some. Sometimes it's not a good fit. There's so many reasons. But sometimes, well, it served as a reminder to me, not only as an occasionally over-eager pastor, but also as a Christian who is ever and always challenged to be growing in wisdom and to always build on a good foundation of my faith. It's a reminder that as many and as wonderful are the blessings that come in this life of faith that we all lead, it is not wholly or even primarily what we get out of the experience that's the most important, but rather the glory of what we are strengthened and enabled to build along the way with all the spiritual gifts we've been given, most especially in the love of Jesus Christ who is and shall always be the foundation of all we are 
everything we seek to do and to be. The Reverend Elizabeth Lovell Milford, who is a Presbyterian pastor and preacher out of Georgia, she has said it very well. Good foundations matter. And as people of faith, our foundations should always be in the promises of God. Those outlined by Christ himself and those proclaimed throughout the entirety of Scripture. These are, she says, the bedrock of our faith that allow us to build our lives in a way that is shaped in a relationship with the divine. What we build on that, on that foundation, beloved, both in our work individually as people of faith and what we do together as the church, it will grow and expand even as it's ever and always being tested and refined by God. But we need to build on the foundation, the true foundation. It matters. I've said that again and again this morning. It matters, beloved. And the Put a finer point on it. What we believe should always translate to how we live. Our faith should always relate to how we talk to one another. Our faith should always be the impetus for reaching out to others in need. For welcoming others into the circle who have been always outside of it. Faith should always be at the center of how we seek to be the church in this time and place. If Jesus Christ is not a part of it, friends, then I dare say we shouldn't be doing it. Part of our responsibility, yours and mine, our task, our calling as Christians, the reason we're the church is to make sure that whatever we are doing, whatever it is we're trying to build, all the things we hope for and want to become, all of that we wish to offer, in all of that and so much more, we have to make sure what we're doing is done on the foundation of Jesus Christ as Lord. So what's your foundation? What is it you're standing on? What is it that you are building your life upon? It matters. I hope and pray that what you're building today, what we are building together, will remain strong and will grow, will stretch out, and we'll connect. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, What's Your Foundation? Recorded at our February the 16th service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, we're celebrating 178 years of faith and service here in Concord, New Hampshire, on that same strong foundation that was built back in 1842. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. 
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support of this podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.